Welcome to this episode of Getting Keys Back on My Cracker. I'm Ashley Nicole. And I'm Paige Benjamin of Atomic Travels. And in this episode, we're going to be speaking on the idea of Americanness and how it affects our mental health. We're hoping to dig into some um, some current events as far as well as their impacts. Let's meet our, our guests and get into it. Watch yeah. Now. yeah. <laughs> hey man, what's up? Um, I'm happy to be back. I think this is about my third time appearing on getting my teeth back on my cracker. Um, so you know, I'm excited as always. I'm Chiz. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of Culturally Focused. I'm also the co-host of Talking Black with Chiz and Lex. Um, so you know, if you watch this show, I think you know who I am now. So you know, um, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be, to be with you two lovely people um, today. So. Yeah. All right, good brother. Thank you. Thank you. Last season, we touched on the idea of being Black in America as being a person in America, but not an American. Black Americans have been constant struggle to belong and survive since 1619 in America. How does not feeling, how does not being considered Black or not being considered American, um, and how does it feel to not be considered American and how does that impact your mental health? So me personally, um, it sucks, right? When, when, when we have this conversation, because as a black person in America, you know, this is all we know, right? We don't really know another land. So it can become a very emotional conversation because it's just like, why am I not afforded the same level of liberties as everyone in this country? Um, and it's a very touchy subject because our culture, our black culture pushes this, pushes this country and pushes the world. So it was like, when do we really, you know, get the, the, the acknowledgement that we deserve outside of people just consistently, you know, trying to copy our culture? Um, so, I mean, it sucks, but I don't know if black people necessarily want to be considered American too sometimes. Um, I, 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 I'll, I'll, so here, here's ahead. the thing, right? It's, it's a slippery slope, right? Because we, we, we fall into the wanting to be accepted, right? And to be a citizen is to be wanting to be an American, right? Um, you have a, a, a subset of the group that feels as though that we built this country. You should be more of an American than anyone else. You have your Irish Americans that come in, they, they've worked. You have your Asian Americans that have come in and they've worked. Um, but yet, you know, we have literally been here for the longest. And when I say we, I'll say you guys, the black Americans, right? I'm West Indian or I'm, I'm Haitian American. So it, it, that's a whole nother dynamic of I'm born here by birthright, but I may not also associate as being American American. I, I go culture American, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's my way of tying myself back to where I know I come from, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't automatically, to your point, want to be associated because they want to be associated to where they know they come from, which is a, is a, is a struggle because everybody doesn't know Everybody didn't do the African ancestry, 21, uh, 20, 21 and me. <laughs> so it becomes a struggle for everybody to assimilate to where they come from. Whereas as a Haitian American, 
um, you know, I'm not worried about being considered American. I'm here by birthright, not necessarily by, by, by decision or by wanting to be part of that. So we have an amazing good brother here. Um, thank you for jumping on. Um, can you introduce yourselves and tell us how amazing you are? All right. First, I'd like to say part of my, my tardiness right there. Just uh, had to switch from uh, Safari to Chrome. So okay. but, um, it, it's an honor and, and pleasure, everyone. Good evening. I am uh, Dr. Curtis Callens. I am a principal of a trauma-informed care school from grades uh, third through 12th. I'm also an education consultant. Um, I help design trauma-sensitive schools. I also work with nonprofit organizations. And um, I'm just living my creed and living my passion on how to help people really approach children in a sensitive manner who have experienced psychological trauma. So that, that's, that's my passion there. And thank you and, you know, hello everyone. All right, and, and he's a in So you jumped in at a good part of the conversation, right? So the question is, and I'll, I'll kind of reiterate it, um, you know, we, we talked about it last season where um, to be black in America is to be a person in America, not be considered American, right? Um, and so um, our people pretty much, well, black Americans have pretty much uh, uh, built this nation to what it's become and to not be considered American. Um, how do you feel about that? And how does that impact you mentally? I think that we have to look at or, or reshape um, the definition of America um, mm -hmm. from what is the so-called standard in our society, which means that we built this country and we should actually change the flag. So the flag should be patriotic in regards of the red, black, and green. So we should celebrate, have our own celebrations. It's time to really become enlightened, but apply knowledge to action in regards of celebrating Juneteenth. Let's get let's get ready for that celebration. That's our our Independence Day, um, and I'm doing it within my household. I have three beautiful, wonderful little girls and an amazing wife, and it's like we're not shooting firecrackers on July the fourth. Nah, it's Juneteenth. That's what we're celebrating. So I'm not depending on the institutions or my children's school to teach them this. Like we're going to be patriotic in our own sense. So for me, I don't believe in wearing you know the the american flag the so-called american flag because during that time we weren't free so why should i give homage to a system that pretty much had us in bondage but i do believe that this is our country and we should not leave our country not unless that we're going to establish land in other territories i believe that is important so we have that like mind where we're going overseas or going somewhere else and establish our own towns and communities, I'm all for it. But they owe us here and we need to reclaim what's ours. So the last thing she said before you jumped on was that um, we're not looking to be American, right? And I think that, and it sounds like you and Chiz are kind of on the same page, but I think there's also a group that feels as though that with your same sentiments, you know, with the existing institution in place that they should, we should already be Americans, right? There should be, an, there shouldn't be a question of, do I qualify, right? Citizenship or not, but 
as, as people who are descendants of slaves and built this country, therefore we should be more American than everybody else. You know what I mean? So um, that's, that's amazing. So I, I wanna actually kind of expand on that, right? So you mentioned, you know, the changing up the flag, right? As you guys know, in American history, when they changed up the flag, it was the civil war, right? Um, how do you guys see this transpiring over time, right? Because you're, you're talking about changing over what years of history, hundreds, I, you know, so, so, so Kurt from a, um, a psychological aspect and Chiz from a social aspect, do you guys see this being something, because it, what, we were, we were struggling to get Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill, right? Um, you know, that was a small symbol of acknowledging the fact that we are part of the society. How do you guys see this flag situation panning out? Because, you know, that's going to require galvanization of not just us, but all the other minority organizations that um, also want to feel part of. As I was stating in Chiz, you have the Irish Americans who are heavy in the workload in the Northeast. You have the Asian Americans who are heavy in the workload in the Northwest, right? Building the railroads, roads across the country. You know, there's, there's, they came well after us, right? But there's gonna be some dissension in, in do we make that flag uniform to just us or to everyone? Cause we're now a melting pot of a nation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I'll tackle it from the social aspect. I'll leave the psychological aspect to the professionals. All well, right? you guys, you can, you can hit both. I'm not trying to tie you into nah, the, I got, the, I got you. You know, you know, I got you. Um, but from a social aspect, I mean, and we see it, we see it now, right? Um, it's some dissension that we had. Some have some dissension with the amount of, um, I guess retribution that the Asian Americans have been able to get recently over, you know, African Americans who have had bills sitting in Congress, you know, for sixty plus years. So, I mean, I say that to say this is that. Let me let me play a devil advocate. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you go to the next one. But they they come together. That group cooperation is ill. That's, that's another that's another you're right but that's it's another conversation though you you got a point there but at the same time it's still a larger conversation to be had about what are we doing collectively as a group right right and i, and I don't want to deviate too much like that's a real conversation too but when we talk about it just from a social aspect is that we have to be unapologetic about who we are Okay, like you can't shy away from who we are and what we built, like because for so long, the history of who, you know, our people are has been hidden from us. And with, you know, the, the, the rise of the Internet, the rise of just, you know, this mass information, mass technology, we have it at our fingertips now. So it was like in order for people to really understand why we don't celebrate a Fourth of July, we need to have real conversations around it. You know, we need to talk about Frederick Douglass and, you know, what is the 4th of July to a slave? You know, those are the conversations we need to have, but have them within context and say, hey, this is this is why we are like this. This is why I feel this way. Like back to the, the, the Asian American thing. I'm just using it as an example. Right. When that bill was passed, I think it was only one or two people in the Senate that did not vote 
for that bill. It is absolutely ridiculous that a bill like that was be, was able to be passed, but we couldn't even pass a bill like the anti the Emmett Till lynching bill that has been sitting there for 60, yeah. 70 years. You know what I mean? But to your point, Paige, when we talk about socially, black people have to figure out how to get on the same page and have this conversation and be like, yo, I'm not voting for whoever until we come to some type of understanding about what we have accomplished in this country and what we deserve as a people. So socially, I just feel as though we need to be unapologetic. Conversations like this helps and being able to push it into mass media helps. And then just everyone, you know, just opening up their eyes, not being woke, you know, because woke has got diluted by so, so many people. But just 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 becoming more self-aware of who you are and being willing to say like, yo, you know, I'm black and I'm proud and not just saying it because it's cool, but saying it because it, it truly means something to you. And for me to, to add on to that piece, it is, I believe, just the education. And, and when you look at Carter G. Woodson and the miseducation of the Negro, is that mm. we have went to these institutions, and I'm an example of it. We have went to Westchester University is a great school, but they have taught me so much about other cultures that it developed a hidden stereotype towards my own people. Mm-hmm. And he stated in his book in the 1940s that you will learn a plethora of all these different cultures that you'll be skeptical to interact with your own culture, even to do business with your own culture. So I've, I've graduated from Penn with a doctorate, but that's not saying, oh, I'm from the Ivy Leaf Tower because that's the problem with the talented 10th. Mm, there we go. That's the real problem right there. So therefore, it's like, okay, we're, we're happy and elated about integration but it's the illusion of inclusion. And how do we dismantle that mindset? So when we talk about, well, okay, well, in the Northeast, like you mentioned, the Irish has a workforce, but no, 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 that was established for them. So when they could not find jobs, it was the federal police designed for Irish, and it was the fire department designed for Irish. Those entities was created for them and even for Asians. Now we speak of today that we don't receive certain benefits and rights in society because it's labeled as minorities, but that covers a whole plethora of other nationalities. Yes. Once again, we're pushing the blacks to the back. Talk on it, brother, talk on it. So it takes rude awakenings to happen, like the injustice in our society, to give some of us a reminder to look in the mirror. And it's okay to love who you are. It's okay if you want land and you want to relocate in other areas, but please remind it and just uphold your culture. It's okay, it's all right. It's all right to embrace your culture. It's all right to be around your people. It's normal. Absolutely. It's not a bad thing. So it's it's gonna take a process because when you even look at Colin Kaepernick, there were so many other players that were reluctant to join his movement because they were chasing the, it was the dog chasing the bone. I gotta keep, I gotta keep chasing this bone. But they don't understand that you're not the master throwing the bone, you just fetching the bone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do we dismantle that mindset to have cultural pride? And it's okay, just you know, just because I love my culture don't mean I dislike others. Absolutely. 
You're on mute. Put my, put myself on mute because, because Dr. <laughs> Curtis is speaking. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, 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 wanted, I didn't want no sounds in the background. My bad. I'm gonna put myself on mute last time, but man, Dr. Curtis, okay, brother, I hear you loud and clear. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, Chiz, did you want to add something to that? Because I wanted to uh, ex kind of expand another question to that. Man, I mean, I I'm not going, you know, repeat too much. Dr. Curtis, you know, hit it all, 100. But but you know, I think between both of our conversations, what we both, you know, really agree on, it seems like we're heading home is that you have to find self pride within yourself. You have to understand who you are and be pride and be prideful with it and not apologize for it. Um, and so many times in society amongst our people, that's our problem. We just don't understand who we are. We lack self-worth at times. And not all the times is it, you know, necessarily our fault. It's been designed that way. So one of the big things that I say is, you know, you have to unlearn and relearn and understand that there's nothing wrong with that. Is that you've been taught how to think this way purposefully with intent to not love yourself and not to love your people. But once you are exposed, you know, to a different a different knowledge or a different way of thinking, you have you have to, you know, you owe yourself more so to to, you know, dive into that and learn who you are. One hundred percent. Okay. You just, so, Joel, we have to unlearn to relearn. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to, I want to hit the next question real quick is um, what does the American dream mean to you all? And does that apply to all of us? Oh man. Um, I'll, I'll start. Um, for me, owning land and getting back my ancestors land. And, and and it's not too far away with generational. Um, my my grandfather and his family is from Gretna, Virginia, and he owned about two acres of land. But during that great northern migration, the family pretty much just just left left that area. Now, when I returned recently, um, it is owned by Caucasians that purchased the land, and they have planted Christmas trees. So it's more of how can I go back and get that land back and really build generational wealth? Because I want to make sure I want to teach and embed that we have to get back to putting our feet in the ground and our hands in the ground and build something and then learning how to pass that down to the next generation. So for me, it's about building that generational wealth and ownership and then teaching the next generation that for our people, I believe is now to put the thought right behind the action and, and let's become knowledgeable, but let's not just be prideful on the knowledge. Let's bring the knowledge to life. So with that said, right. And um, I'm gonna let you go, Chiz. Um, you know, one of the things that we have to do, and um, I guess this is a question back at you. How do we unbrainwash ourselves? from thinking that these things aren't capable because, you know, um, <clears throat> there's a struggle with the American dream versus American born Americans and people coming into America. So um, I'm, uh, you know, as I stated before, and we've had an episode prior where, you know, West Indians, um, Africans, everybody comes here and what seemingly is easy for us to obtain that American dream, it's, 
not as easily attainable by those Americans that are from here. So is that something that you guys can both talk on? Because I think that's a great point and we need to break the generational curse of thinking we are not capable or we cannot, you know what I mean? Man, you know, you know what? You touch on such a, a, a sticky subject amongst people of color in America, period, right? And when I say that, it's because the, and I'm going to be blunt, okay? The way that, you know, our, our brothers and sisters that come from Africa, the way that our brothers and sisters from the Caribbean, when they come into America, they, they're coming with a totally different mindset of how to achieve that American dream, right? Um, I want to say that it's really built more on a, a structure of culture and hard work, to be 100% honest with you. Um, whereas at times... As Black Americans, um, we've kind of been made to be dependent on the systems that are in place. Whereas our brothers and sisters coming from other countries that look like us, they're not dependent on that system. They'll come and say, hey, you know, I already came from less. I'm not worried about that system. I'm going to grind. I'm going to do what I got to do to make it. I'm not depending on anyone to get it for me because I already come from a place that shown me that I can't depend on it if that makes sense here it's like it's like a reverse of privilege right like entitlement so to speak but but what i always say and, and the people that are that, that you know i grew up around i grew up around a, a lot of nigerians okay when they come here my brother they have a plan they know exactly what they are shooting for but it's based off of their culture. It's based off of the way that their family is set up in those conversations. So it may be harsh for a lot of people that's going to hear this in the future, but it's the truth. Like they're coming here with the system and with a with, with, with the idea of who they are, where they're from. And it's like, you can't tell me yes, no, who, whatever. Like I'm going to get it by any means necessary. You know what I mean? And we, we see it with multiple, I'm just using Nigerians as an example, but we see it with multiple different, you know, people of the diaspora that come here from other countries. Their grind, their work ethic, most of the time, collectively as a group, is completely different from ours, which is why sometimes we get into, you know, head knocks and dissension between one of another. Because it's like, you know, if I'm coming from Jamaica, you know, I'm working, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm building my family up. And it's like, well, if I came from what is classified as a third world country and I was able to obtain this, why can't you? And I and I put that back to the to the instance of they're not depending on a system. Whereas sometimes in our community, we depend too much on the system, which is why a lot of conversations now are getting back to, you know, let's unlearn and relearn. Like we can own our own land. We could do that. You know, we don't necessarily need to wait for reparations to get, you know, the type the, the, the type of financial or economic freedom that we're looking for. Right. It's ways to do that. It's ways to support one another, because that's another thing that you see when people come from other countries. They're fair. They have a tight knit family. One person may be coming from another country. They'll stay there and live with each other for three, four or five years while they're building in our community. What happens, you know, with the, the generation before us who say, yo, 18, 19, you got to get out of my house. You got to go figure it out. You got to go get a job. You got to go do this outside of, you know, trying to build some type of, you know, foundation for your children. You know, it, it, it's a it's a deep conversation. I don't, I don't want to take up too much time, but um, yeah, man. Yeah. 
Go ahead, Dr. Curtis. <laughs> uh, no, thank you, man. That, that was that was you know dope. Teach my <laughs> I tell them what this dope come from dopamine in the brain, so they understand I'm not talking about drugs. <laughs> um education and social media, but it's I, I look at the social media where um two brothers, uh Rashawn Bell and Troy uh Millens on Earn Your Leisure. Yes, um, you know, I mean, earn your leisure on social media. These two brothers, I'm telling you, they're dropping some jewels and they are sharing with us how we can advance in society financially and not, you know, we don't have to come to the table with money. So they have all these, a variety of different speakers and they're speaking on how to just build generational wealth. And I think that's the key, looking for those outlets to just Make, make it a habit. As much time that we spend watching television, let's start investing in you know, self-worth, but also building ourselves, educating ourselves. Because those, like once you hear those brothers and they bring in different speakers, it makes it attainable on how to get ahead in society, quote unquote, get ahead in society, but also to sustain, su sustain that financial wealth as well. Um, there's another one, uh, uh, Wall Street, the Wall Street Trapper. Um, that those individuals. It's sort of like if you are going to be on social media, have the balance. Get the chuck and you know the, the, the chuck uh, chuckles and giggles. You got to have that balance, right? You want to look at some sneaks, but don't get overwhelmed with the Jays because they always come up with the same Jays and they're after year after year. But then have that balance where you're getting that diet in your system. You're like, you know what? Okay, it is attainable. Okay, so if I maintain, here's how I build up my credit. Okay, there's how I can get certain loans. Um, like they enlightened me on, on a short, quick example on trailer parks. To go into trailer parks and to purchase like a mobile home, purchase a mobile home or repair a mobile home for two to three thousand and then put it back on the market and sell it for seven to ten thousand, make a quick four or five thousand dollars. And there's different certain tax breaks as well because the mobile the trailer park is not actually a home. It's really a vehicle. But I never knew this until like I started listening to these brothers and they had this couple just was dropping these jewels. And I'm like, you know, I'm talking to my wife like, wow, you know, and we driving on a highway and like they're going to trailer park, they're going to trailer park. And we analyzing it and we, we contemplating like, OK, let's look at some areas, some flat lands. You know how we can get into this game. So I think if we leverage that attention towards what we can become, it will become in fruition. That's that's definitely uh, um, that's amazing. That's really amazing. Um, so I, I want to kind of like move the conversation forward, right? Um, if we were to reflect on how white Americans go out their way to restrict our access to some of our civil liberties, how does that make you guys feel, right? Um, you know, you think about um, laws that are preventing us from voting, laws that restrict education. Um, you know, um, how does that make you feel and what are you doing about it? Politics as usual. <laughs> Ain't that what Jay-Z says? Politics as usual, man. Um it's a cold, it's a cold world. And we gotta under I think I think you have to understand their fear to understand why they're doing what they're doing, right? So 
it's an article that came out a couple of years ago when it talked about, you know, the dwindling of the white race in America, right? So they they are not producing like, you know, Hispanics are producing and like how African Americans are producing. So within what, 10 years or so, we are going between us and Hispanics, we are going to be the majority. This will be our country. So when you see the suppression of voting, it's politics as usual. I mean, they've been doing that, you know, since black codes, you know what I mean? That's what they do. Black codes, Jim Crow, you know, um, this is what America does. They are trying to figure out how to keep themselves in power. So even the laws that we see lately, they are afraid of the changing course that is coming forward. So when you ask me how I feel about it, once again, it's politics as usual. Black people, we have to stop relying on the system that is in place. Dr. Curtis brought up a great example of a group of black men that are trying to change the narrative and trying to teach, you know, our people how we can take advantage of the system and progress. Because if you don't think there are other groups of people that are doing that, you're sadly mistaken, right? When we talk about politics, do you ever really see, you know, the Republicans, Democrats, or any other party directly targeting, you know, the Asian American population? No, you don't. The Asian American population walks in with their pockets to say, hey, this is what I want done. Get it done. They're not depending on them to, you know, be their savior. Black people, we have to stop looking to the system and to the powers that be, the powers that enslaved our ancestors to be our savior. They're not looking to be that. They are going to continue to look for ways to maintain the status quo and to be our masters. So for me, at this age, I'm trying... I will participate and exercise my right to vote and I encourage everyone to do it, but that can't be our only great white hope. It can't be like we have to find other ways for our communities to come, come together and pays like, you know, one of the, and actually one of the biggest things I say, collaboration over competition equals group economics. And I believe in that 100%. The only way we are going to get ourselves out of this hole that we are in is group economics. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about with knowledge. I'm talking about mental health, which you guys put so much, you know, on your platform. Financially, mental health, and just regularly just caring for that black person that's next door to you or, you know, or whenever you're in a situation to uplift someone. Um, but to me, it's politics as usual. We just got to figure out a way to start relying more on ourselves rather than, you know, the imaginary great white hope that we're waiting to come to save us. I think if you're going to go and cut down the grass in the forest, you have to understand the snakes in the grass. That's that's the first piece. Wow. And with that being said, I, I really follow and I admire the 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. And those 48 Laws of Power just really talks about how to navigate um, through hierarchy and, and use it to your advantage. Um, life is, is chess. So sitting down and strategizing, but also talking to our elders that have experience, um, just those interactions, those transactions as well. Uh, looking at there's certain movies that just brings enlightenment, like The Banker. And you look at Samuel L. Jackson and the things that they had to do to build certain wealth, but 
what were some of those obstacles? Because in stories, even though they can be fiction or nonfiction, that was a little bit of both for that particular movie. It mm -hmm. has a, it still has a lot of truth and value that is present today. So it's, it's pretty much a, of just navigating your resources, understanding that there are snakes, but it's not always just one color of the snake. It can be the ones who look just like you, but not being um, absent-minded of that, but leveraging that towards just your advantage. That's the key. That that's uh, I like both of those viewpoints. That brings us to like our next topic. I know we just talked about um, politics and things of that nature. Texas Republicans have just pushed a bill to end the teaching of critical race theory. Um, basically, um, they're not forcing, they're not really allowing teachers to have to teach black history or teach about what's going on in the news right now. Um, and I know for one, like a lot of us are kind of like tuning out of the news because I know I'm tired of seeing my brothers shot and killed. So I kind of limit my access to the news. But if we're not, if we can't trust the school to teach, um, teach our children to be proud of being black and aside from this platform, of course, we're uh, promoting blackness and being as black and, and blackity black and black as you can be. How do you think as a community, um, what steps can we take to push uh, push the blackness, kind of back away from the ongoing struggles that we have and push the black pride? Can I start off with that, you know, mind? Um, a lot of the educators don't even know what critical race theory is. Mm -hmm. So they don't even know what it looks like. They don't even know the definition of it. And the sad reality is there's pretty much a, a number of schools and institutions that are not teaching it anyway. So this is nothing new. It just goes along with their agenda. Um, and then when you look at when they do teach it, it's so saturated in regards of every Dr. King and his famous iconic speech. And that's all you get. And yes, slavery exists. Okay, on to the next page, boys and girls. And it's very quickly. You do have some districts. City of Philadelphia has designed the curriculum. They have um, Dr. George Carr that pushed that initiative and they're making great strides in that area. So you do have those, you do have school districts that are touching those controversial topics. But I believe it's our responsibility in the home to teach our children. I'm not dependent on my daughter's teachings, teachers, to teach them roots, to show them roots. You know, I'm more expecting my little girl to say, oh, do you know, matter of fact, I'm speaking Kuta Kente. And then their teacher saying, whoa, okay. And then saying, no, do not call me Malcolm Little, call me Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? Like we gotta raise these soldiers, 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 excuse me, in the, in the household, don't be expecting the institution in the school. And just because they have a teacher that reflects who they are, doesn't mean that that teacher is going to be brave enough to teach it. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes they don't want to ruffle the feathers. They want to please. They want to teach the curriculum and not teach the kids. Mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to critical race theory, um, I think we need to go back to what is being classified as fugitive pedagogy which was defined by Dr. Jarvis Gibbons. And he talks about what Carter G. Woodson, when he was coming out with the Negro Achievement Week and the curriculum, how there were teachers 
that had to have that that hidden curriculum that when they principal walked away, then they brought those facts out and was delivering it to the kids. That's where they used metaphorically it was like a fugitive. So we need to get back to that fugitive or I wouldn't say get back. We need to bring it to life, that fugitive uh, pedagogy. And then also looking at Bertina Love, where you're looking at the injustice curriculum as well. How do we make social change in our society using the curriculum? Before you start there, Chiz, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to follow, right? Um, Ashley and Chiz are both mentors in the Royalty Project, which does some of what you're talking about. Um, You know, can you guys kind of touch on how your past experiences with the Royalty Project kind of touches on that, right? Um, You know, teaching the youth about their missing history, teaching about who they are, where they come from, and, and because... You know, we gotta start young. I mean, I think to Kurt's point, um, you know, and and to the it raised a village conversation we had. Um, some of our parents are limited based on their experience and what was taught to them, right? And so it's hard for us to elevate our children beyond us when we don't know what's beyond us. And the great thing that um, the Royalty Project is doing is as the mentors grow within themselves, they're helping the youth grow. So if you guys can touch on that and then go ahead and, you know, respond if you can uh, behind brother uh, Dr. Curtis. Go ahead, Chiz. Um, so literally, um, Dr. Curtis really just said everything that I say all the time. Um, but I don't say that just from, you know, from a perspective of learning as I went. I am a product of that. Um, like I've said on this platform and even, you know, when on TRP, the royalty project, my mother sent me to a private school that was called African People's Action School. I went to that school from first grade to eighth grade. Only reason why I stayed there ninth through 12th was because they didn't have a high school for them. The first time I started learning about European history was when I stepped into a classroom, they tried to teach me US world history and the teacher tried to tell me that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. And I said, no, that was Lewis Latimer and I got in trouble. Um, So I say that to say this, is that it is not the responsibility of these schools to teach us about our history because they've continued to show us that they will not do it, they won't. So we have to come up with our own structures um, and our own in-home school curriculums to teach our children about who we are and where we come from. Because Doctor, it was funny, Dr. Curtis, when you said um, MLK, I always use Rosa Parks and I say they teach us Rosa Parks, um, you know, sat on the bus, that MLK had a dream and that, you know, Malcolm X said by any means necessary. And we don't learn about anything else after that. Um, so it's our parents' responsibility. Now, when we talk about the Royalty Project, I love the Royalty Project so much because they are, you know, working on exactly what our community needs. They're talking about self-empowerment. They're talking about financials, you know, the economics of what we need to do in our community, like the missing history part, the loving your skin, loving the way that you are naturally built. You know, it's, it's so many great things that the Royalty Project touches on consistently. That's why I love being a part of it. But um, we can't we can't rely on the school system to teach us. And I'll say this again, just like I said before, 
whiteness is under attack in this country as it should be they are dwindling down slowly but surely so when you talk about politics they're figuring out extreme ways like never before to disenfranchise and keep the vote away from you know black people and other people and other minorities as well um but then when you talk about now in the schools they're going the extra length now because some people in these schools at times are not afraid to have these conversations and say like no what that white person did was wrong and this and that so i think i, I think it's a way for them to try to figure out how to curtail some of this conversation because you know when when, when we talk about what over the past year or two it's been a push to really understand you know why do the police you know treat black people like this you know what is the history behind that and some teachers are in some classrooms having that conversation so no longer is it you know an option for you to potentially talk about this no we have to strip this away from you so you don't even have the ability you know to talk about this in some form or fashion so and then i want to co-sign out like chiz said like this is our second um second um, session doing royalty project and we grow just as much as the youth and like him i grew up i didn't go to like a all black school i wish we had one in mississippi but um i grew up uh, we had the black encyclopedias with like all the black people uh, that did everything first we had all all the um, lessons in wcp like my neighbors were like friends there, the older ones were friends with like mega Everest people like that. So we had that kind of rich culture where we could like reach out to like the older people and pass down that history. Um, so Royalty Project, I'm still learning more things about um, blackness, more thing about wealth, more thing things about like beauty, image, things of that nature. And then seeing the, the children come back and not only are they excited by the missing history, but they're excited to learn Mansa Musa was the richest, is the richest person that ever lived and he was black. They're excited to learn how to budget money, how to save money, how to how their check comes in and it goes here, there, and the third. That whenever we're asking them, so what was your best takeaway? What was your favorite thing? They're talking about budgets and children 10 to 14 being excited because they learned not to waste money. That touched my spirit. Um, so the things like royalty project, things of that nature, I love it. But Chiz, you just mentioned something about voting and things of that nature. So I did want to also just follow up. Um, so in the recent election, number of states since the recent election, a number of states have passed legislation that is disenfranchised minority voters, basically reestablishing separate but equal situation. We technically beat Jim Crow. We got Georgia um, restricting voter rights. We got the the stricter ID laws and things of that nature. I know that we can't rely solely on politics, but how do you think that we can, as a community, affect um, impactful legislation outside of every four years when we're voting for whoever's left for president? giving away our vote. Hey, it's Ashley Nicole. I appreciate y'all for listening and hopefully you're all getting your, keeping your cheeses on your crackers. I'm dropping in on this episode to give you some goodies. Have you been wanting to get into the podcast game and don't know where to start? I got you. I have answers. If you haven't already heard about Anchor by Spotify, 
It is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor has everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Let me say it again um, in case you missed it. Everything that you need to make a podcast is conveniently in one place. And best of all, Anchor is free. Free 99, zero dollars, zero cents. So go ahead download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started now. I can't wait to listen to your podcast too. And I say that to say this. And this may be controversial, you know, I don't know, but I'm going to say it. We have to stop just being like, oh, you know, this person seems like they like me um, or they're for me. I'm going to just go ahead and go to the voter box and vote for them. I say this because it's been multiple times throughout our history where we've seen people like Linda B. Johnson, who we know, you know, was a racist, you know, sit there and pass the civil rights bill. We've seen conversations with people like MLK sit across from the KKK and figure out how to have those conversations, right? Now, am I saying that you have to like these people? No, I'm saying you need to figure out how to leverage what we want versus what they want as well. We can't just keep saying like this last election kind of killed me. All right. Um, and I'll put it out here. I voted for Biden. Everybody knows why I voted for Biden. I voted for Biden because I feel as though we had the most leverage going that route. Right. But I didn't want our community to just willingly say, hey, we're voting for you just because we hate Trump. Everybody knows that we hate Trump. Trump is a is an abominable human being from so many things. I don't want to get off track. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we have to get something for our vote. We have to say, yo, Joe, if we're going to vote for you, we're voting for you because we are expecting you to do one, two, three, and four. And if you don't do one, two, three, and four collectively as a group, we are not going to vote you in. Now, that's what we do on the four-year plan, right? But that's all we're ever concerned about when it comes down to your district attorney, when it comes down to your mayor, when it comes down to your senators. People don't really realize how important voting for that Senate race is voting for that Senate race, voting for that congressman in your community like is really, really important. So my point to all this is that also don't forget the city councilman, city councilman as well. Yes, absolutely. You can't you can't miss that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And my point to just saying all this is that sometimes you may have to broker a deal with someone that you don't necessarily like in order to get the things that you want. You can't just keep giving away the vote because in my I think like this because Malcolm X has has a saying when he talked about um, the fox versus the wolf. Okay, Um, and it's like both Republicans or Democrats. One is just a lot more cutthroat with what they're going to do and they're going to tell you before they do it, whereas the other one is going to do some shady stuff behind your back and, you know, kind of just be closet with it. Right. So I just want our people to be a lot more smart with it and don't show our hand every single time, because every time we show our hand, they use it against us. So politics, unfortunately, in this country, you know, 
in order to get legislation passed, we have to play the game. But we got to start playing the game a lot more smarter than what we are playing it right now. Because every time we show up to the ballots, we're showing our hand just because we feel as though this person has our best interest at heart. And just because that person has, you know, told us that if you ain't black, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. All right. So I, I, I'll leave it at that. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, um, I, I think in regards of show our financial hand, we need to start hitting them in the pockets in regards of the funding, the campaigns, the funding that individuals and supporting individuals with our agenda. In the city of Philadelphia, you have new infrastructure that's being built, but on the construction site, you have majority Caucasian and a predominantly African-American community. How does that occur? And if it does occur, we should say as a, as a culture, as a community, we will not patronize whatever business is established from that infrastructure. So since you really don't believe what we say, we can show you better than what we can say. So I think we need to start hitting them financially, holding them accountable. So therefore, when they, just like with Georgia, um, with some of the things that they were doing there with the voter registration and their whole process, um, Major League Baseball said, we're taking uh, the All-Star game out of there. And I think things like that need to occur, but being strategic behind it in regards of if it's the NBA championship there, or the NBA playoffs or yeah, yeah, the championship, that the NBA players should say, no, we're not going to play. We're not going to play. We need to see these number of individuals pushing our agenda. And if it doesn't happen, then, well, maybe we need to design our own league. Agreed. Finan financial restraint against people that don't stick up for the black community should be probably the first thing on our ticket. If you, when these corporations support people like Donald Trump, we need to be saying, yo, we not buying nothing from you. And that's probably one of the biggest struggles in our community is being able to get on one accord when we are disrespected, we ain't talking to you no more. It ain't no apologies. It ain't none of that. If it's one thing that we need to learn from the LGBTQ community is that when someone goes against them, they shut it down. It's lights out. They shut it down. You know, and that's with a lot of other communities as well. So we, I, I agree with you 100%, Dr. Curtis. That probably needs to be the first thing on it. You ain't for us. We ain't for you either. Mm -hmm. We ain't giving you nothing. So you mean to tell me black Twitter is not enough? Absolutely yeah. not. No, no, it's not. But, but I mean, to to a deeper it's conversation with it is that we've start. got we we've been talking so much. Everyone, you know, it's a cool term to say. Oh, black people aren't a monolith. You know, we all don't think the same. It's really cool to say it, but it's like at some point we have to figure out that we all have something in common, and if we don't stick together. We ain't never going to accomplish nothing. Like, it's cool to say it, but what does that really mean? Like, we need to we need to come to some type of communal understanding around here. Something got to happen. <laughs> like, so Black Twitter, so Black Twitter FBI can get people fired in, like, two days, but we can't boycott Walmart when they send people a nigga email. No. Right. <laughs> we can't right. somewhere else to order from because Walmart got everything for less. Like, but, you know, but that's it. I mean, but you... But, yeah, yeah, we may have to come back. Thing, right? And I think I think we've 
we've unfortunately developed a, a crab in the barrel mentality, right? Um, you know, you would think the reverse, uh, you know, the whole concept of lifting as we climb would be, you know, the crabs trying to bring one another up, but it's literally the other way down, right? And I think it's, it's, it's inherited in us. We inherit that because, you know, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, it's like, it's hard to have one leader, right? Um, I don't think we've come to a place where we put enough faith in ourselves to believe in one person, to have our people's agenda at heart. Am I rare? I think we've been, I think we've been, I think we've scared our leaders away. I think we've scared revolutionaries away. Um, I think it was a conversation we might've had on here is that I don't think the generation before us was looking to develop revolutionaries or develop martyrs because they lived in a, they lived in a generation when they seen Malcolm X assassinated, they seen MLK assassinated. They saw Fred Hampton assassinated. They saw Megger Evers assassinated. Like all that happened within like a 10, a 10 to 15 year span. So I think that the generation before us kind of wanted us to keep your head down, you know, go to college, get a degree, you know, help your people out where you can, but don't overexert yourself when you do it, because this is potentially what can happen. You know, that's my personal opinion on it. Um, I don't think, I think that's why we don't see that level of leadership in my personal opinion from that previous generation. I think we see it happening a little bit more now, just in more of a different way. When we talk about what's a revolutionary, people like the EYL that Dr. Curtis brought up, what they are doing is revolutionary. You never, you've never really seen black men on a platform like that, you know, saying, yo, you could do this with, with taxes. You could buy this. This is how you make an extra quick three, four grand. Like that's revolutionary for a lot of people in our community because a lot of people don't know about stocks, investing, taxes, all those different things. So I just think um, I don't think we need one leader. I think we need a collective group of people that are like minded that say like, yo, I'm going to attack them maybe on my social media platform. I'm going to attack them by, you know, getting out here and talking about mental health. I'm going to attack them from, you know, you know, if, if I'm a recruiter and I'm hiring to figure out how I get more black people in the doors to make sure they can provide for their family. You know, when we talk about with Coastly Focus protecting the culture, that's how you do it. You do it in your own individual way you know, to become a leader within your individual community. But I don't think we'll ever necessarily look to one person anymore because we just got to let people, you know, lead within their own respective right. Mm -hmm. Respectfully, my opinion. <laughs> and Brother Page, you mentioned the crabs in the barrel. And that's a very common idiom in society and within our culture too. But we have to take in consideration that crabs don't naturally live in a barrel. Mm. So we create the environment and you trap them. And then actually, I mean, that's that's what's going to occur. Actually, in their natural habitat, they walk over or they walk around. So there's no pulling at all. So with us in our society, it's the environment. OK, so that barrel is actually outlined by red ink, which is red lining. So when you look at, OK, how do we we're pulling each other because that's the barrel. So we need to take this lens, uh, 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 a lens where we look 
down and actually see. And when we think about revolutionary leaders, what's not taught in schools and what is not shown in TV and the media is how the government was assassinating those revolutionary leaders. No, they are there and they weren't there, but they strategically and methodically assassinated them. My aunt in West Philadelphia, a part of, she was part of the Nation of Islam and the Black Panther Party. And she shared with me as a teenager down West Philadelphia when she's passing out the Black Panther um, newspapers and they assassinated Fred Hamilton at 21 years old. She said, that frightened me as a teenager that the cops got away with this mm-hmm. and that the police were actually picking on African-Americans and just chastising them in the community. So they actually, they went underground. So they remain silent so we can live. But it's up to us to show that respect, to have a very empathetic ear and listen to them, an active ear, because they can teach us and say, you know what? Because I asked that question. I said, wow, you know, um, one of my frat, our frat brothers um, just played in the movie uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. And, and she told me, she said, yo, I used to sell newspapers. And I asked, I said, what happened? You know, what happened to the movement, you know, in Philadelphia? She said, man, the cops was getting away with murdering us. So we went on the ground. And come on now, in 1985, where Mayor Wilson Good dropped a bomb on Osage Avenue in West Philadelphia in 1985, I was seven years old riding a bicycle 10 blocks away. And that was during the summer where Mayor gave a thumbs up for them to drop a bomb on a movement. And then they instructed, the police commissioner instructed the police department, excuse me, the fire department, to let it burn for one hour. Let it burn. And it burned down three blocks that are across the street from Cobbs Creek Park. Today in Philadelphia, you ride down there, you can see the distinction with the homes. So I think that today generation, the revolutionaries are there. They're coming. We have to support them. But then also, as we're doing now, pulling out their cell phones, holding the police accountable, but also protecting, protecting our community. So our police officers need to look like us in our communities. Absolutely. Um, Not only do we need um, legislation, we need people in our community that look like our community. Um, I also want to bring to the topic. So yesterday we celebrated the one year anniversary of the lynching of George Floyd. Um, And the subsequent actions were riots, um, the Capitol was sieged, um, which was reported as a simple protest. We had every company from Fortune 100 to Fortune, from the smallest companies to the biggest companies posting the black boxes, posting um, that they were standing with us in solidarity. A year later, we get a we get an Asian uh, hate crime bill, but people ain't standing with us no more. People ain't, the black boxes are like, gone. How do you feel this impacts our ability to express our unrest? Um, it, it, it impacts us greatly um, because once again is that we give away so much and get back so little. Um, and even when we saw the corporations, like for me, they from a business standpoint, right? Because I think we, we got to be able to think with two caps, right? At times. 
from a business standpoint, what those businesses did benefited them. You know, being able to put, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, say that, oh, we stand with you on this. That was a business move. That was so black people in different cities, you know, didn't potentially burn down their businesses or kept patronizing them. Because, you know, and if you, you guys follow me, you know, Dr. Curtis, we got to get you to follow me on, you know, these different social media platforms. But, you know, I was out in the streets. You know, I was in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? I was in Washington, D.C. Like, I was there from the moment they started to the moment they started looting buildings and burning down cop cars. So, you know, I saw it. Those businesses weren't afraid of necessarily black people. They were afraid of the bottom line of what not supporting black people would do to their business. All right. But we have a habit of saying, oh, I'm not going to support what, what happened? H&M when they had, you know, the black, the young black boy that had the monkey on his shirt. Right. We was mad at H&M for what? A week? It was right back at H&M the next week shopping again. So it was like, we have to, we have to, at some point, some generation has to be willing to sacrifice and say like, I'm going to sacrifice this today for the future tomorrow. And it's probably a future that I'm not going to see. But at, at so many times we are so selfish and it's like, well, damn, you know, H&M, Probably the only store around that got 30, 30 pair, you know, $30 pair of jeans. Like, and they nice. They fit good. Like, I got to go there. It ain't no black business like that. But it's like, but what is it doing for the future? What is it doing for the people coming behind you? So it hurts us. And that and that goes back to what I, I, I talked about, when you know, not the deviate, but when I talked about the political standpoint is that we have to stop giving away who we are in hopes of people doing right by us. We have to hold their feet to the fire. We have to say, yo, I need this on day one. And if you're not doing it, then I can't support you anymore and stick to it and absolutely stick to it and not go back. Oh, he did a little bit of what I like. You know, we can't we can't keep operating like that. So, you know, j just to answer your question from my perspective, you know, Ashley, is that we have to mean what we say and live by it. Mm. And that's what has to happen in our community. And it's going to and it's going to take a level of sacrifice. And you have to be willing to walk that line and commit to it. Or quite honestly, we're, we are never going to see that. You know, I've kind of already come to the you know, come to the formulation in my mind that everything that I'm fighting for right now, I may not necessarily see it in my in my lifetime. But if I continue to have these conversations, continue to push it, continue to educate my son, you know, continue to educate my daughter, that they will be the generation that benefits from that and, you know, leaves it to their kids coming as well. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't say it at all, pretty much. And, and just to capsulize it is, let's stop, stop patronizing them. Simple. Let's stop. I mean, are, aren't we tired of the Asian following us around the hair town store. Are we tired of that? Are we tired of buying our hair from them and they put nothing back? Are we tired of fighting against ourselves and supporting ourselves? Like mm -hmm. it's enough enough. So we want change, but we don't, we don't put the change behind it. So it comes to a point where we cannot always look for them to support our cause. And the thing is that if we want their support, then force it by the dollar. The dollar, that, that's, that's the key. It's just plain and simple. And 
The reality is, it's okay. You don't need all the sneaks. You don't need all the jeans. The reality is, use your creativity. Add different swaggers in there. Cut the holes. Holes and jeans are cool now. Get the old jeans. And they selling jeans with dirt stains on them. So it don't even matter if you got some old dungarees. You can make them look fly. Have some, you know, whatever boots on. You know, bring your swag to it. Be creative. But for me, it was awakening in regards of I analyze where I patronize. And, and the thing is, I try to be very methodical and strategic behind it as well. If I don't get that feeling, then I'm not going to patronize your, your company, your establishment. I will go find or I will go make it myself. So, so one of the things that I wanted to actually touch on this specific topic is last summer um, pushed a lot of organizations to have a um, equity, uh, minority inclusion um, uh, positions, right? And from my understanding, these are positions that were in some organizations already in place, but it's seeming like they've targeted some of their, their you know, black people in, within their organizations to be the heads with no additional compensation. Um, and the goal is, you know, you're our, you're our black person. You, you know everything that's going on. So you tell us how this works. Um, and I've, I've, I've met a couple people who've been approached with this and, and, and they were excited and also concerned that these roles were temporary, right? Um, you know, unfortunately we are a fickle people, right? Um, once we feel like we're at a, a place of comfort, to Chiz's point, we kind of give our vote away, right? Um, we get to a point of complacency and we're like, all right, they're cool with me. We're just going to keep going back to doing the status quo. How do you guys feel about these roles as temporary and not to um, um, Dr. Curtis's point, something that's going to be permanent that shows us as a community that you are invested in in acknowledging that we exist and we're important to your business. You wanna go first, Dr. Curtis, or? <laughs> uh, sure, I think, um, I think we should take advantage of those opportunities because a closed mouth don't get fed. And even if it's for six months or to a year, that I think we need to bring it to attention with awareness and first start off by that Silence is perpetuating the system. And if you refuse to say anything in regards of alliance, then you're perpetuating, you're part of the problem. I think that needs to be the forefront. That's there. And then also diving in deeply what is implicit bias and understand that we all have those bias. But the key is, are we aware of those bias? That's, you see, I, so if we're going to hold those temporary positions or long-term positions, we need to hit it right in the mouth from the beginning. And really, it's sort of like, how do you make something that tastes really bad, tastes really good, where it can be very digestible? That's the key. Lowry's, Lowry's, Lowry's and slap your mama. <laughs> Larry, slap your mama. Sometimes you add in, think about it. I mean, like with children, right? 
we have the medicine, we do the airplanes, right? Sometimes we got to add a little bit of humor so it can be digestible and they can understand that, wow, wow, I am very biased. I am prejudiced in this way. And I'm really fearful to shop in, you know, communities of color. So I think we need to hold those roles and we just need to grab it. We just need to, in the, in the beginning, just punch it right in the face. Agreed. I was going to say the same thing. Hold the roles. Like if we have the opportunity to be there, get there. And if and what's crazy is that so many of these Fortune 500 companies have created a new role called a diversity and inclusion officer. Mm-hmm. And I would I would bet my my paycheck on it that at least 60 to 70 percent of them are filled by a black person. I would bet. And I was really curious to see it. But let me say this. Dr. Curtis mentioned it earlier. you got to be able to see the snakes in the grass, okay? Because a lot of these organizations are only looking to say, hey, look, we have a Black person on our executive leadership team, you know? But most likely that Black person isn't the CEO. That Black person isn't the COO or the CFO. They are, you know, the diversity and inclusion officer, all right? Um, But with that being said... We have to see when companies aren't doing right by us. I'll use the NFL, for example, right? We brought up Colin Kaepernick earlier. When Colin Kaepernick was kneeing and, you know, talking for all the things that we already know, he's talking about the NFL chastised him. Nobody wanted to let Colin Kaepernick back into the NFL. And this isn't me advocating necessarily for him to get back on a football field. But if the NFL was real about making an impact, in the black community and communities that need help, who do you think would be the perfect person to appoint to a position like that? The same person that you ostracized, the same person that you know didn't that you didn't feel as though you know was making a making a proper statement. Colin Kaepernick would be the person, the perfect person to appoint to a position within the NFL to look for you know areas of opportunities for the NFL to invest their money. Okay, but you still ostracize them. But you come behind close. You come on the other side now and say, oh, we care. Black lives matter. You know, all these different things. It's like I can't buy it because it wasn't what four years ago when you was telling that black man that was kneeing for police brutality that you didn't agree with him and that he was bad for business. But now I'm supposed to be able to accept the fact that you are for black people. Now, get him a job first and then let's have a conversation. So that's what I'm saying. You got to be able, you know, to recognize the snakes in the grass and realize when we realize when these organizations and these corporations are just doing things to patronize you to continue to get your viewership and to continue to just get, you know, your money, your money in their pockets. So. So the only thing I would say to that is, um, you know, uh, I think he was a great symbol of and I want to say great. I think he was a catalyst to a conversation, right? Um, I don't want to insult the man's intelligence or capabilities. I don't think he would have been the person to advocate for that position. I think we have an amazing group of black people within the NFL association that could have taken on the reins, um, especially in legal roles within the NFL that could have on the of that particular position to one um, promote and propel 
um, Colin Kaepernick's um, uh, stance, and then two, that understands the black community. Um, I, I'm working with a um, another organization um, who's interviewed several members of within that organization. And, you know, there are prominent people within an organization that could stand up. I don't think that he was the only person. He was probably the only person to throw himself on a sword for the organization. But I think in him throwing himself on the sword, I, I think we should at least be able to acknowledge that, look, our people need this. And, you know, no one wants to lose a cushy job, right? No one wants yeah. to say, I'm going to step up and, and be the next person in line to fall on the sword. So see, but and, and let me say this, Paige. I, I agree with you. You know, um, I, I just use that as an example. Um, but I still feel as though I'm a big person where I look at the optics of things and I look at how you know our community will look at our community views things, right? What they did for Colin Kaepernick was to them, they made him a martyr. They made him the example of black man, if you step out of your place, this is what will happen to you. And that's what they did, did to him. So it's like, if you're not stepping foot in foot with what we tell you or when you could do it or how you could do it, you can lose your job. And what was Colin Kaepernick's fault? Nothing. All he did was stand up for his people. So the NFL to this day still not acknowledging that fact and creating some level of retribution to him. I don't care. I don't care about the money they gave him. They were forced to give him that because he sued them. But if the NFL is the platform that they say that they supposedly are now, you have to make that situation right. And if you don't make that situation right by just investing and saying, oh, we're for Black Lives Matter now. No, you make it right by going back to the person that you said that was wrong and the person that you said affected your bottom line of your business by saying, you know what? No, you were right. And by doing that, maybe we don't necessarily appoint you to an executive leadership position within our organization, but he has one that's called, I know you're right. You invest in that. So I don't want to you know, take away from the conversation, but I just feel as though organizations like that, when you wrong someone on that level and create them into a martyr, the optics behind that is still just so troubling to me because it influences a whole nother generation that's coming behind him, a generation of athletes as well now, because athletes now, when they protest and when they speak out on injustices, they have to think like, damn, am I going to be the next Colin Kaepernick? Am I going to be the one that, you know, loses my job if, you know, if I'm if I'm struggling at the time? Like, there's so many different conversations about it, but the optics from the NFL to Colin Kaepernick, bother me 100%. So sorry if I took the conversation left, but. Oh, no, no, it's good because I, I kind of entertained it, right? Um, so, you're <laughs> telling me, so you're telling me the Rock Nation deal wasn't, you know, their retribution towards. I don't think we could curse on this um on this platform, but absolutely. <laughs> oh, we can. We made it explicit, so we good. <laughs> no, no, the, no. No, I, I was absolutely, I, I was actually kind of offended when the Rock Nation deal happened because I just, I just felt as though when it came to Colin Kaepernick, that I understand. All right, so when I think about Co Co Colin Kaepernick, to be honest with you, I think about buck breaking. Okay, I think about how back on the slave plantation when they would find the strongest black man on that plantation and make an example of him. You know, um, Dr. Curtis brought up Kunta Kinte earlier, right? When Kunta was getting hit with the whip, what were they trying to do? They were trying to break him. What's your name? 
Say your name is Toby. No, my name is Kunta. Say your name. You know what I mean? So when I look at the NFL and we, we can, you know, compare, you know, it being what some people like to call, you know, the modern day plantation, all those different things. But when I look at the NFL, the level of, you know, chastisement, the level of, you know, degradation that they tried to apply to Colin Kaepernick for them to turn around and then say, oh, no. We support black communities. We support all these different things, but you still have yet on a national stage acknowledged that, yo, we wronged this black man. That bothers me because once again, to me, it's just you patronizing and making sure that you still get black viewers because viewership was going down for a minute. I was one of those people. I didn't watch football for about two and a half years. I wasn't watching because I just felt this though, like what you did to that man and my community was a modern day butt breaking. You broke a strong, you not necessarily say they broke Colin Kaepernick, but you stopped him from being able to feed his family within that capacity, you know, for a certain amount of time. So to me, that was a modern day butt breaking. It was just something, you know, that didn't sit right with me. And it still doesn't sit right with me. I don't think the NFL has cares not one bit about, you know, the black community outside of, you know, the 95% of black athletes that play for them, you know, and that's another conversation within itself. So. The, the the minister Louis Farrakhan stated that he never seen Big Bird going to Walmart asking for twigs and leaves to build his nest, and, and metaphorically say that um, Audra Lord, who is the, the black revolutionary feminist, she she made this quote, and it just resonates in regards of, for the master tools would never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporary to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. So why are we looking for them to make change? It won't happen. Like we can't, we can't use their tools to dismantle that. We it's ownership. So we need to get into you know, and just like uh, uh, Miss Jackson just stated right there, it's time to create our own leagues and NFL teams and NBAs. That's it. Why are we why are we playing this game? And I'm sitting back and I'm just chuckling at at at, at society and, and and what we're doing in society in regards of we want the NFL to do this and that. But here's the thing: the owners ain't the owners are just going to allow you to do just a little bit. It's methodical. It's all methodical. What would you want? You want some t-shirts? I give you some t-shirts. You want to, you know Stan? I'm still making my money off of. Go ahead, Stan. I'm all there for you. Because you're making my you making me rich. It's an illusion of inclusion. So when we want to bring about change, it's the ownership. We got to start owning. And then say we already have a couple of owners. Um, I think they're partial owners and some NFL teams. Why not start to gravitate towards those teams? Hmm. Why can we not bring back the the I mean just the the, the pinnacle of Grambling State University? University in football, which is technically LSU. Southern. It was, Southern, please. Well, Southern, yeah. Southern was good, but also Grambling led the led no the Southern. history of football. Am I right? They're no Southern. We're the best. We well, can't okay. talk about Grambling. We got to take the emotion out of this one, Ashley. <laughs> HBCUs. Let's do that. Wasn't it Ed Robinson at Grambling? Is Absolutely. That, Ashley, I show some respect. But that's all I got. 
Well, we need, hey, let's bring all our players, our elite yeah. players. Why HBCU players? Boom. And and you know what, guys? The conversations are being held now. Deion Sanders is is having those conversations now. I'm not putting all the weight on his shoulders, but he is sparking the conversations and saying, "Okay, we need to figure out how can we inspire our young men to go to go back to their roots." Um, and it takes unlearning, get getting back to that unlearning piece because I, I'm a part of that um, where the ball family and they came up with their own sneaker. And when they came up with their own sneaker, I was thinking like Alonzo, like, why didn't you get the Nike deal? Like what? You didn't get the million dollar Nike deal. You coming out with your own sneaks. That's foolish. I was brainwashed. And I'm like, wow, did I just lose track of just owning your own? I'm, you know I mean, I'm just caught up in that same system as well. So it takes the process of unlearning. So that 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 leads us to this next segment where we really want to wrap um, everything that you guys brought up. You know, we started the conversation around how does being black in America make you feel like you're just here versus being part of America. Um, we then discussed the things that divides us as Americans. Right, that separates us from being part of this country. Um, throughout history, we've been taught his story and not our story. Um, how do we improve the narrative of how Blacks are seen in America? Before y'all jump in, I did um, want to say, um, right with this question, just like you just mentioned, Deion Sanders, that deal alone has brought more media to our schools. Um, We've had sellout crowds, even though they had like the off season, they had football in the spring. The ticket sales from that was higher than usual. Um, all of the, the fans, alumni, people who never may have even looked at those schools are going to those spring games, filling up the seats um, more so than they would have expected for a spring season. So even those small steps were able to bring some spotlight to our community so that people can say, oh, I should probably consider going to this HBC, I should let my, my son play football there or basketball, any of those NCAA sports. Absolutely. But one key thing too, is that we need the funding support behind the HBCUs because I know it's cheaper to give out scholarships and financial aid if a child is going to school in state, but there's a lot of talent outside of that particular state who want to attend HBCU. And I'm speaking from my experience. I wanted to be a Morehouse man. I wanted to play football for Morehouse. And there was no financial support. And they said, well, if you were a division one player, we'll find some money. Honestly, if I was a division one athlete, I would go to Penn State where I'm televised and get opportunity quicker at the NFL. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't being disrespectful, but mm -hmm. In the state of Pennsylvania, it was cheaper for me to get a scholarship in state in state. So therefore, financially, it was in the best interest. But I think culturally, it wasn't because I wanted to be around our people. But therefore, financially, I, I was unable to reap those benefits. So I think with, with HBCUs and what they're doing now, let's 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 put that funding towards it. 
And Dr. Curtis, I just want to piggyback off of what you said because I wanted to go to Hampton, but I went to school in Western Pennsylvania to Gannon University because Gannon gave me a full ride and a scholarship. Whereas Hampton was like, you know, we can give you a partial, but you know, it's kind of, you gotta, you gotta be able to weigh it. Right. And then when you talk about economics, financial and different things like that, it's another conversation when, you know, in some communities, when now you got to go to your parents, they may not necessarily be able to afford it. Right. And we know how that affects our communities directly as well. So, you know, the conversation isn't necessarily, you know, afforded to you to, to choose between, you know, taking a partial versus, well, you know, this, this institution over here, you know, may not necessarily be better for me on a mental and a social perspective, but financially and economically, you know, it's, a, it's better for me. It can, it, it can prove better for me in the long run from that perspective. Um, but I just wanted to echo that because I went through the same exact thing because I definitely wanted to go to Hampton. <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of redirect back to the question real quick. So thank you for that, Ashley. Um, so how do we go from his story to our story, right? How do we continue to um, elevate, promote our contributions, who we are as Black Americans, as Americans, not, not anymore separating the difference between Black or white, just as Americans, how do we kind of, you know, allow our story to be kind of propelled and improve the vision of what Blacks look like in America? I think utilize our allies. We have a lot of allies there that will tell our story, but we want to make sure it's the accurate story that's out there. It's not always saving the Caucasian male and Black Panther. Um, and, and I'm not trying to put Black Panther down, but that was in there that it had to be some type of hero being saved in that aspect. So we have to tell our own story. We have to utilize our own media outlets to share that. We also have to read, just like Jackson said right there in the comment. That's right. Adults equal reading. Reading to our children, filtering what they're watching, because Disney can really persuade our little girls into always wanting their hair straight. That's like Rapunzel versus taking them to actually see Nefertiti and the hieroglyphics where it embraces braids and the kinkiness and the curliness of that. But exposing our children to those images to build up self-pride and then walking around and showcasing it. And so we can kick up with our feet and it says 16, 19 on it. And, uh, you know, we got our feet kicked up, whatever. And I thought, if I want a slice of watermelon, now I'm going to have a slice of watermelon. That's it. And there's nothing stereotypical about it because I like the sweetness about it. But I'm going to live, I'm going to be prideful about who I am and be comfortable in my own skin. And another thing too, embrace, embrace our beauty, our natural features. In corporate America, there was a time that I would say, I would think that cutting my beard down very low so I didn't offend them. Now it's like, no, let me let this thing grow. If you think I'm my kidder, then so be it then. But this is who I am, except who I am. Um, and I'll just attack it. I'll attack it from another perspective because this is a conversation um, I always have with my father as well. Is that we have to be more intentional about having these conversations within our immediate community. So many times we're worried about having it, you know, on social media, you know, putting on a facade and different things like that. But it's like, what are you? Are you doing those same things that you're talking about on social media with the people that are around you? 
So I think that's how we attack it straight off the back, right? When I talk about, you know, collaboration, you know, over competition, I live it, right? I work with everyone within my community. If I know that you're a photographer, I'm reaching out to you to help me take pics. If I know that you're a social media guru, I'm reaching out to you. If I know that you're in IT, I'm reaching out to you. I know that you're in real estate, I'm reaching out to you. Like, we have to control the narrative within our own community first and teaching each other about who we are. So then that person that I talk could go teach it to another person and teach that same mentality, you know, to that next black person or to their son or to their daughter. So we need to, we need to really get back to Paige. I heard you say it a couple of times and Dr. Curse, I believe as well. It takes a village and legit. It takes a village. And within that village, you have to be willing to share, you know, information. You have to be willing to sacrifice and share wealth at times and economics at times to help support people. Um, but we really just have to get back to a point to where, like, what I say is how, you know, I, I, I walk it. You know, what is it? I talk it. I walk it. Something like that. I can't I can't get the correct term, but y'all know what I'm saying right now. OK, um, but, you know, I walk it like I talk it. There we go. I'm thinking about the Migos now. All right. Walk it like I talk it. Um, but, you know, that that's what I'm getting to. Like, we really just have to focus on the, 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 the quickest way you can make an immediate impact within the community is controlling the community around you. You know, your sons, your daughters, your friends, your family um, and instilling that knowledge and instilling that that history within them. You know, um, and then also, you know, I keep seeing, you know, Jackie down here, um, you know, and getting your kids enrolled in the royalty project, you know, getting them there. You know, that's the that's the best way to start them out. Get them in the royalty project. But um, it definitely takes a village. And that's where you can start to make the most immediate impact first is within the people that are within your immediate circle. So I, I want to kind of um, expand on platforms. Right. Um, how do we create an environment in which we can enable um, the continuation of this conversation, right? Um, Ashley and I are, we up here every other week trying to make sure that we discuss topics um, that people want to hear and talk about. Um, how do, and, and Chiz, you just mentioned it, talking immediately within the people that you're close to, but how do we grow this conversation, right? To a point where, it's not behind closed doors because the, the reason we we're doing this live is so that anybody can see this conversation coming in. And, you know, a lot of times conversations had been held behind closed doors. There's zero to li there's little to no accountability behind it. Right. And so for us to continue to elevate our uh, perception amongst the rest of the, the world, how do we kind of expand this conversation so that we can grow? We can, we can have these conversations without ridicule. We can have these conversations and produce viable outcomes because that's the biggest thing, right? Talk is cheap. How could we actually push this um, conversation further where as black Americans, we can't just be a number, right? We're not just a social security number. We are uh, an active member of the community. We are an active member of this nation we are proud to be considered Americans, but we also need to be considered as human beings as well. And I think a lot of the times, you know, to be American and to be in America is not the same thing. I think we need safe spaces. And when I say safe space, I don't mean like necessarily a you know, away from harm. 
I, I mean, we need it away from people that don't necessarily look like us, right? It's cool to have these conversations on Facebook and social media and stuff like that, but sometimes we lose track of what the direction is because people that haven't necessarily experienced what we experience jump in and say, oh, well, no, that's not, that's not it. That's not this. We need, we need conferences, you know, we need things like that where black people can have a meeting of the minds, you know, and say, Hey, this is the agenda. This is what we need to talk about. And this is what we need to look to push, you know, forward to, um, social media, black Twitter, you know, all those things play, you know, definitely a role in, you know, starting the conversation, but so many times we start the conversation and we never finish it. So at some point we have to figure out, okay, that conversation that started, where are we taking it to, to formulate and an, a plan, an action plan behind how we actually accomplish it. You know what I mean? So that's, that's even if it's, you know, a culturally, a culture by, wow, well, I'm forgetting my own brand name, a culturally focused, you know, a getting my cheese back on my cracker, you know, Dr. Curtis, you know, where can we have these conversations amongst, you know, a plethora of people that look like us and really come to some type of solution and stick to it and discuss it outside of just YouTube, you know, Facebook and Instagram. I really believe that's what we have to figure out. Um, and I think it may need to be some level of a political, a political party. You know, we need to bring back the times of the Black Panther Party, to be quite honest with you. Um, where, you know, where there were men and women that had, you know, a like, a like-minded goal and they set out to accomplish it and they did it by any means necessary. We need those type of organizations back. Most definitely. I think, um, inviting those individuals with the grassroots organizations, um, those individuals that are out there leading that charge to be able to share the space and come on and kind of discuss their movement and what are the things that they need. Um, and then also looking at how to reach out to black owned businesses where they can have a space to share and discuss their businesses and um, how can we patronize them? So I, I think it's sort of like, there's a lot of good sisters and brothers that are on the grounds um, doing those courageous acts that we need to tap into. I, can, can I say one thing? Sister Jackson in the comments just said to the talented Tim, stop giving out handouts and start offering a hand up. That sentence alone is 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 phenomenal because what has happened is that we've had a lot of people in our society that have been able, you know, to get a one up and been able to obtain wealth. But the mentality has been I've obtained it you can do it too. And it's like, it's not always that simple. When you talk about experiences, when you talk about exposure, all those things play a role into where, you know, the talented Tiff has gotten to. And we need to stop that. You need to be able to identify the people. Now, I'm not saying just go and find anyone, you know, to just give money to or to give knowledge to, but you need to be able to go back within your community and do what you said earlier, Paige, and what Omega lives by is lift as you climb, right? Don't 
Don't look to just be like, oh, I did it. You could do it. Figure it out. No, it's a reason why you got to where you are. You know, another poem, you know, another thing that we talk about, another big poem that I love is Bridge Builder, right? You've already crossed that chasm. You've already crossed, you know, that 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 barrier. Why would you want to see me as a black man or a black woman fall victim, you know, to that same, to that, to that same, you know, um, that same encounter, you know, for lack of a better word right now. Help me out. Don't look to watch me struggle just to make it to you are. Our responsibility is to make sure that every generation does better than the last. I shouldn't be starting off, you know, from zero when you potentially started off at 100. At least give me 70, 80, you know, and then say, hey, this is what you could do with that to get there. But I think we've gotten so addicted to being like, yo, I made it. You could do it. Nah, it shouldn't be like that. It should be. Let me teach you how to get past where I am so you can be better off than where I was. So. Thank you for that, Sister Jackson. You made a great point. And and I think I think to your point as well. And I was going to bring this up earlier. Um, I didn't want to belabor it, but um, we have to stop hoarding information, right? Um, you know, I think it's. I think to your point. You know, I think a lot of times um, I struggle to learn something, and then somebody come from behind, and they're like, "Yo, how did you get there?" And we're like, ah, oh, bro, it took me so much to figure this out. I, I don't know if I want to help. Um, Chiz, you reached out. I was like, look, bro, I, I mean, I probably did give too much information up front, but it's one of the things where we I have it all. I'm going to still call you, though. <laughs> we have to learn to share that information because to Chiz's point is like, you know, without a royalty project, I don't think the youth of today would have the, the level of information and experience that we've had. And that's because you have a collaboration of people that's gone through it. You know what I mean? And they realize we have to deprogram ourselves. And what better way to de- de- what what better stage to deprogram is at the age at which we are most impressionable. And so I think you know to what you're saying is amazing because like you know we have to stop thinking that me helping another person is to my demise. It's actually to your strength and to your growth. So, um, you know, Ashley and I are always about making sure that the conversations we have are in a safe space. We, we, ironically enough, we look for people with difference of opinions, but when it comes to certain topics, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, especially when we are all inside it, you know, we are all experiencing it. So I, I do want to thank you all for, um, everything that you contributed to the show. Um, you know, um, um, Dr. Kurt and, and Chiz, do you guys have anything coming up or want us to know what you guys got going on so that we can continue to support? Uh, thank you. Um, people can follow me on Dr. Trauma Trainer on IG. Um, I'm really excited. I have a Juneteenth workshop that I'm doing is um, focusing on uh, the principles of, of Mayat and how to heal our children. I'm using those those principles from ancient Kemet. So I'm, I'm like mm. really excited about that. And just um, doing work on, on training educators and um, church uh, members and nonprofit individuals on really how to help our children transition back into becoming just acclimated again in the school school environment. So I'm just excited. Actually, sounds like Dr. Curtis is going to be one of our resources at some point. Right. Or you know what I mean? Look. Look forward to that resource channel on the website. 
<laughs> Dr. Curtis might be on the top of the list right there. Hey, I, I'm yeah. How about that Juneteenth program. Is it virtual, in person? Um, it's actually going to be in, in person. It's going to be in Chester, Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. um, and actually, it's going to be the introduction. And I'm doing an introduction workshop that's going to lead into a series uh, of, it, of the program. So we're looking at how we can heal our children using those principles of mind um, to really help our children just become stabilized in society, especially so, everything that's been occurring. Let us know how we can help, you know, when you're ready to make that platform virtualized, because we know that, you know, um, this is something that's definitely needed. And, you know, if we can get you out there, we will do our best to get you out there. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's been an honor. Hey, man. Doc, hey, Dr. Curtis talking my language. He's talking about my art, man. EM Hotep to you, brother, man. We come in peace. That's what I'm talking about. We're talking about Kim and all that, man. Hey, we got to get Dr. Where Jackie at? Jackie, we need to send um, Dr. Curtis an email for the Royalty Project, all right, because he got some things to talk about. Um, but um, I definitely appreciate the conversation, as always. Um, you know, it's always a, a pleasure to talk to you all. I always love to give you guys your roses before I get out of here. So, you know, Paige Ashley, you guys are doing a stand-up job, man. You guys did a phenomenal job with getting Dr. Curtis on here today as well. So, you know, I love, love, love when we can get conversations like this and get, you know, brothers that, you know, have that intellect that can also, you know, articulate it and get it to the masses. So shout out to y'all for getting Dr. Curtis on here today. Um, but if you know anything about me, um, follow me at Coachly Focus. Um, talking Black with Lex and Chiz every Thursday at 7 p.m. on our um, on our Instagram channel. Um, we will be transitioning, like we said before, you know, to more of a YouTube, um, you know, Spotify podcast type of form. Um, protect the culture. My own personal one is coming up. Um, you know, I will be getting Paige and Ashley on there at some point as well. I'm signing Dr. Curtis' name somewhere in there too, somewhere on my. On my here, here's what I need a, I need one. To, I need a royal purple protected culture hoodie though. That's oh, you saw the protected culture hoodies? Okay, Doc. Okay, uh, hey, man. I'm a researcher. Stuff like that warms my heart. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that warms my heart. Um, yeah. but we, we got we got you, Dr. Curtis. Um, protect but, that. You know, um, I appreciate these conversations, guys. Uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I, I'm a big proponent of giving people the roses. Being able to have a platform like this that you guys are producing, um, it's amazing. We need more conversations. One of the topics that you guys said is how do we, you know, you know, pretty much change the narrative? You guys do that, you know, every time you invite brothers like this, you know, sisters like this that that are looking to uplift the culture. So kudos to you. Um, but just follow me at Culturally Focus for all things pertaining, you know, to the culture and uplifting. But, you know, I'm just so proud of you two and everything that you guys are doing collectively and individually, man. Just keep it up from Atomic Travels to Ashley, you know, putting together the cheese, getting cheese back with my crackers. Like, you guys are amazing, man. I'm so proud of y'all. Like, just keep it up. All right. Great, great. I thank y'all so much. Um, thank you for y'all's input. I Ever so grateful for Paige, for all of his bros, all of y'all have come on the show and just provided all the best insight and knowledge. So I greatly appreciate y'all. Um, I really appreciate the fact that the one unifying um, thing and all of most of the responses that y'all have um, given. 
kind of like what the thing that I wanted for the second season, which is breaking those generational curses. Um, and I hope that we can continue to um, just move forward and be stronger. I thank y'all for your participation. I thank everybody that tuned in. If you're watching this live, if you're watching this um, tomorrow, uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, turn on your notifications, and tune in um, Wednesday after the next. We'll be right back um, talking about music and Black culture. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a blessed evening. As we sign off, we want to remind you that it's okay to not have your cheese on your cracker and that we're here to work towards getting there together.